The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Scorpbox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. U.S. markets posting their worst weekly performance since September ahead of a busy week with U.S. CPI data and a slew of central bank rate decisions in focus. Bank of America's Brian Moynihan telling CNBC exclusively inflation will be more sticky than expected. This is going to take a little longer than people would like. It's not going to be so clear overnight. It's going to take a bit of time for the higher short-term rates to continue to slow down the economy and bring the inflation under control. Well, in Asian trade this morning, Hong Kong's Hang Seng leading the losses in that part of the world with tech and property stocks under pressure this hour. Well, after quite a drubbing last week, we've got a tentative rally going on on oil prices as the Russian President Vladimir Putin threatens to close the taps on Europe following its price cap as a cold snap hits the continent and puts its energy security to the test. And elsewhere, the European Parliament Vice President Eva Kaili is suspended from her party after Belgian police detain two MEPs and seize 600,000 euros in cash in a series of weekend raids. U.S. factory gate prices rose more than expected in November, with PPI growing at its slowest annual pace since May 2021. Vegetable prices, the biggest driver of inflation, accounting for 38% of the overall figure. The worst than expected annual reading of 7.4%, dampening expectations that inflation could be headed lower. Well, it's set to be a bumper week of central bank action this week uh, and economic data points with the latest reading of UK GDP due in just under an hour's time. Consumer price inflation data for Germany and the US will be released on Tuesday, while the Federal Reserve will deliver its latest rate decision on Wednesday. That kicks off a string of monetary policy action with the Bank of England, the ECB, the SNB and the Norges Bank all delivering rate decisions on Thursday. The week will round off with European inflation and PMI data. And observant viewers may have noticed that I'm in the studio and Steve is working from home today. This is this is like a blast from the past. It feels like we're in the peak of COVID, Steve, almost. It's an Arctic blast. Should we get this elephant in the room or in two rooms out of the way? Look, we need to go through the scenario. One, you are uh, either a better driver than me. Two, you have a better four-wheel drive than me. Or three, the, or three, the weather down in Sussex was worse than the weather uh, northwest of London. I have a sneaky feeling it is a combination of all three. My extreme weather skills, despite having a, a very large and robust four by four, for exactly this uh, reason, Jeffrey. Uh, I, I think we had some interesting weather down here, but I, I think you did as well up in your neck of the woods. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to spare your blushes, let's go for option three because the other two are untested. <laughs> at this point but i do think you need to get that four by four out of the garage at some point and show it some snow 
Oh, but it's just too pretty for the snow and slush, Jeffrey. You know that. All right, we better move on. Um, Goldman Sachs has raised what it thinks the uh, the Fed's going to get to at its terminal rate uh, to between five and five and a quarter percent. To be fair, Goldman thought it, it was there already, uh, but it's just saying the Fed is on a bit of a catch up. A warning that the central bank may signal another 50 basis points hike for its February meeting. Analysts say they do not see what more the FOMC can do to push back against easing in financial conditions, adding it expects the FOMC to keep its options open for now. Well, as Jeff mentioned in the headlines, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan outlined his inflation outlook in an exclusive interview with CNBC. Our expectations are that inflation uh, gets in control really at the end of next year into 24. It gets at more normal levels. So we start to see the GDP growth rates negative first recorders and turns positive. We also see the Fed funds rate staying higher, you know, really 475 to 5 all the way through next year. And then as, as the impact of all that slows down the economy, slows down inflation, you'd start to see it normalize into 24. And so this is not a, I think that's one thing that's been clear that people are really focused on now. This is going to take a little longer than people would like. It's not going to be so clear overnight. It's going to take a bit of time for the higher short-term rates to continue to slow down the economy and bring the inflation under control. Uh, Brian Moynihan then from the Bank of America. So so let's just uh, backfill a little bit here before we move on and get some comments from uh, Antoine Lanay, who I know is waiting in the wings. So I'll keep this relatively short at the wall. This is how we finished up shop on Friday with some of the slightly stronger than anticipated data in the United States beginning just to make those looking for some form of pivot on rates from the Federal Reserve feel a little bit nervous as to what the pace of that pivot might look like when it ultimately comes. Um, you know, the, these days, uh, the, the pivot, I think, is generically being used to term the Fed actually just pausing on rate hikes rather than moving to rate cuts. But ultimately, as you can see, this nervousness is keeping markets on tender hooks. And we had one of those sessions on Friday where we saw broad selling down here across all of the sectors. Um, and we've picked up some of that negativity into the Asian trading session. The Treasuries, let's have a look at where we are on the curve. The big story, of course, is that we continue to focus on this inversion between the twos and the tens here. Uh, 4.3 on the two-year note, the 10-year note, 3.5%. And depending on how you feel about whether we're going to have a difficult recession into 2023, 3.5% is either in the short term uh, an indicator that the market is over pessimistic or perhaps in the long term represents a huge opportunity if the market believes the Fed is going to have to drive rates down to re-stimulate 18 months in 18 months time. Dollar crosses, let's have a quick look. The story again, as you know, has been one of uh, the dollar uh, topping out other currencies, making some gains here. Obviously in the equity market weakness we've seen, we've, we've, we've seen a little, bit, a little bit of a bid back in the dollar here. And as you can see across most of the important currencies, the dollar has been making some ground. I mentioned the Asian markets, just, just show you briefly. Um, the Hong Kong market obviously down 
around 2% here. Uh, property and financial companies are taking some of the pain. All of this, of course, related to the uh, expected trajectory of interest rates and what we're going to hear this week from the whole slew of central banks that are set to make decisions. And we've got weakness pretty much across the Asia region with the Kospi down a half of 1%, Shanghai down nearly seven tenths of 1% and the Nikkei 225 indicated off uh, about a fifth of 1% right now, Steve. Thank you very much, Jeff. Let's get another voice on this. Antoine Lanay is head of ETF strategy and research for EMEA at State Street Global Advisors. Antoine, I have been banging on now for at least a week, probably a little longer actually, about the importance of the two days that are coming with the CPI data due on Tuesday and the FOMC on Wednesday. In my mind, and a lot of traders' views, this is going to set the frame for whether we can have a Santa rally or not. Are these two days as pivotal as I've been going on about? Good morning, sir. Good morning, Steve. Nice to be with you. Uh, they are pivotal. I think uh, they are important days. Um, the, the the pivot that you've just been discussing uh, with Jeff uh, like a minute ago uh, was expected for November. We had this uh, weaker number on inflation. It kind of started to rally. Uh, the dollar weakened. But we need to see more from the headline CPI in particular to fall before we can get that kind of confidence that the Fed is on a track where it's going to be slightly less hawkish. Okay. Probably uh, we'll need a few more prints. I'm sorry to uh, <laughs> to not be as positive as uh, as one would like for 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 a Santa rally. Uh, but uh, that's the way the market is going to have to navigate in this uncertainty and it's in in kind of a volatile environment. But the Direction seems to be setting for um, at least a lower inflation print altogether going into 2023 and further. The speed of which is going to be the important element for your Santa rally. Um, I think we'd be cautious going into those, uh, into, into that day, into these two days, or in uh, Wednesday and Thursday. We also have the ECB, as you said, and the Bank of England in particular. Antoine, let me throw a few numbers at our viewers as well. The previous CPI was 7.7. Uh, estimates are for a lower figure than that. So I'm in the region of 7.3, 7.4. The core is was 6.3. Now we're looking at a lower six handle as well. But these markets, these equity markets, got an absolute pummeling last week. And I'll draw our viewers' attention to two of the slightly smaller indices. The R2K, the Russell 2K, fell over 5% last week. The transports fell over 5% last week last week as well. These are absolutely enormous numbers, way bigger than what we saw on the Dow and the S&P as well. If we don't get those lower prints on uh, on CPI, because we know we, we think we're going to get a higher SEP, i.e. summary of economic projections, dot plot figure for the terminal rate as well. If we don't get those lower CPI prints as well, does that make it, I'm going to say impossible, but there's nothing's impossible, but does it make it virtually impossible for this equity market to rally? That will make it much harder, and and you know you highlight very brisk moves. It's also a you know uh, a sign of the maybe level of liquidity going into the end of the year, where moments are just uh, exacerbated. No, sorry, movements are exacerbated by uh, by slightly less uh, less less liquidity in the market. Um, the 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 thing that could kill kind of the uh, the appetite would be more of, a, of an upside surprise to, to inflation, if it's uh, if it's the same level of. Uh, of surprise, positive surprise by lower print, it will be certainly helping uh, helping the market be more enthusiastic. Uh, you know, sell the dollar, um, see yields fall again, 
and that would lift uh, lift the spirits of uh, of maybe the uh, Russell 2K again. Uh, that could be an interesting play going into 2023, but maybe it's a, a little premature as we uh, as we're just around the uh, around the Christmas corner. Um, but you cl clearly need uh, you, you don't want too much of an upside surprise because it's going to probably um, shower a little bit the expectations and shower the optimism that we have uh, we have seen. But more, more broadly speaking, I think we, we, we have become a little bit more positive towards the equity uh, spectrum compared to where we were, let's say, at least a month ago. And I've reduced the cash holdings in, uh, in, in some of the portfolios already. Antoine, uh, Antoine, you're in a terrific place to, to give us a sense of what the flow data is revealing at the moment, i.e. the money that's going into ETF products and the money that's coming out. Can you just tell us what we've seen in the last week and how that should help shape our thinking about how interested investors are to participate in different asset classes? So I think the key takeaways for me would be first last week was a relatively uh, low week from a flow standpoint. It was roughly, uh, we were just like below less, well, less than a billion dollar in the European ETF market uh, compared to three billion the week before. And um, but the key thing is we've seen some people selling, some investors selling the U.S. equity market, buying global uh, equities, and within the U.S. equity market actually rebalancing towards more of the dividend kind of uh, a form of defensive slash value type of uh, exposure, which is interesting. Obviously, you've got a higher weight in energy, and it's done very well so far this year. Uh, but that, that was one of the of the key movements. The second point, obviously, is that. Um, Fixed income tends to be uh, tends to be in favor by investors. They buy your corporate investment grade. They uh, they like the U.S. investment grade corporate market as well. So we see that investors are playing it a little bit more cautious. And when we look at the not only the amount of flows but the relative flows versus their size, fixed income flows are, uh, fixed income flows sorry are higher than equity flows. So again, the sign that um, there's a bit of cautiousness in the uh, in the makeup of the portfolio. And also the fact that uh, you've got yield for once in the fixed income market. So it's an alternative to the equity market in, uh, in a moment of volatility. That's interesting. So, so the suggestion, underlying suggestion there that investors are behaving a little more cautiously uh, and seeking some defensiveness in fixed income. L let me ask you then about the emerging market flows, because I think what's been notable after many, many months of outflows or um, effectively neutral flow, there does appear to have been a pickup in interest in investing in emerging ETFs in the last uh, month or so. Is that consistent with a significant rebound for those markets or do you think this is opportunistic bottom feeding how would you read the flow information i think it's getting ready for uh, for for a more meaningful move uh, the, 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 the 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 way the juries would be out on the uh, on the ear market would be the dollar you know where are we in terms of uh, of peak rates where are we in terms of uh, of the fomc being a little bit more accommodative but we've seen a lot i mean a lot of that journey has gone uh, has gone through already and investors are starting to 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 you know to yeah to fish for the bottom. Uh, I think the other the other element in, as you as you highlight in terms of it's been more more or less a month since we've started to see more positiveness in in the flows towards emerging market debt equities FX as well, um, and it's clearly concomitant with the uh, with the fact that uh, the China is uh, slightly uh, more open to a, a less stricter COVID policy, and that has been um, has been you know lifting up the mood uh, for for investors. Plus, the valuations in EM are clearly uh, 
looking like a buy in this kind of in, in this kind of relative value terms versus uh, U.S. equities and others. Antoine, my eye was drawn to the following words: downside protection is top of my mind for oh, top of mind for many investors. I, I salivate when I hear about downside protection because I don't think enough people take it out. What do you mean when you say downside protection? Are we dipping our toe into the derivatives market? No, I mean the the the, the way we've uh, we've put it into the. Uh, I mean, there's a way to do it uh, with uh, with derivatives, but uh, the way we were expressing it through our uh, our global outlook was maybe more to look for uh, for for kind of minimum vol or low volatility type of strategies. They don't work, you know, ten times out of ten, but they do tend to work when uh, when the, when there's a, a relatively good direction in the market. And um, as we enter 2023, we still degree of uncertainty in terms of how the fed will have to react whether it uh, it can afford to be slightly less hawkish or not that creates some volatility in the market and you want to hedge a little bit uh, around that before you you take more uh, more aggressive actions in your in your portfolio antoine good to catch up with you thanks for giving us your time this morning antoine lenay head of etf strategy and research for emea at state street global advisors uh, still to come on the program this morning um how low will they go eu leaders are debating a cap on russian oil but can't seem to agree on a price I guess no great surprises there, but we'll focus in on that story over the next 30 minutes. Uh, we'll have uh, the latest on that after the break. Yeah, plus who is better at driving in the snowy weather, Jeff or I, or plus uh, what is going to be a bumper week uh, as we head towards the end of the year. You can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right, there's a lot going on in the energy space as well. I can tell you that Brent, well, our headline said it's going up, but up off a very low level. We'll come back to that in a few moments' time. But the Chinese President Xi Jinping has wrapped up his three-day visit to Saudi Arabia, pledging deeper ties between China uh, and the Gulf state. The two nations signed a comprehensive strategic partnership agreement and uh, over a dozen deals ranging from hydrogen to construction were signed. Uh, President Xi also confirmed that China would start buying oil and gas in Remimbi. Now that's a very interesting story, one that uh, long-term viewers of this show uh, will know comes up on a fairly uh, frequent basis. Now the EU is struggling to reach a deal on a gas price cap as 12 countries push for a level significantly lower than previously agreed. A paper demanding the revised price cap was circulated over the weekend from countries uh, including Belgium, Italy, Poland and Slovenia. Those negotiations are continuing today. And UK power prices surged to record level as the country experienced a icy cold snap and a drop in wind generation. Um, Britain's National Grid says it's preparing two emergency use coal generators with sub-zero temperatures expected to last through 
the week. Uh, Jeff, many, many things to discuss. Let's start off uh, on the price of oil. We have Brent currently trading at 76.69, around about eight tenths of 1% higher in the session, having closed at 76.10. But I don't know if the team can put up a 12-month picture of the crude price as well. But it is quite extraordinary, I think, looking at where we are at, trading pretty much on or, or there or thereabouts, the lows that we've seen for the last 12 months, certainly the lows that we've seen since January. And, and think about it, ladies and gentlemen, look at the factors uh, that are going into the oil price at the moment. And yet still, we have a huge decline off our highs. And I'll, I'll just draw your attention to the highs uh, of oil, around about $130 in early March of this year. So just after the invasion uh, of Ukraine from the Russians as well. So, so Jeff, just to put a couple of the factors in, we have an icy cold snap dare I say it, part of the reason why I'm talking to you now from uh, East Sussex as well. You have concern uh, about what's going on at OPEC as well with production cuts already called for uh, and potentially more to come if we stay around these current levels as well. You have a reopening in China. Uh, and I think that was one of the most astounding things of the last week or so, where actually something that should have been a major catalyst for oil to rally actually did nothing to the oil price. So more demand coming from China, more demand coming from Europe because of a cold snap and talk of a production cut from OPEC. And what's the oil price done? Is it $90, $100, $110? No, it is trading on its 12-month lows. And I think that speaks volumes uh, about where uh, the, the problems are in the market and actually potentially the supply-demand dynamic going into what could be a recession in 2023. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, Steve, because I think we should throw in the, um, the talk about price caps in Europe because if anything, you would anticipate that the market might spike on the back of the suggestion of an attempt to impose a restrictive cap on Russian energy prices. But if anything, I think all it's done is actually uh, reinforce the message that you're giving here, that it's exposed the underlying demand weakness that we're seeing at the moment for this commodity. Very interesting, we've got reports, I think, coming up this week from OPEC and from the IEA. So those monthly reports ought to give us a, a little sense of how both those who analyze the demand and the supply side are thinking about the outlook here for energy. But I, I wonder what, um, what this cold snap will actually mean for near-term spot prices, whether we will get any reaction, because ultimately this um, phase of weather that we're seeing over Europe, I believe, gently shifts to the United States, and we're already getting some, some cold weather in California. So perhaps if it is longer-lasting, and um, more extreme than current forecasts would suggest, maybe we do get a reaction near term in the price. But I'm absolutely with you, medium term, it doesn't feel like the supply demand dynamic points to significantly higher prices in the medium term at least. Yeah, look, I think the oil price is always a brilliant metaphor. You know how I feel about this. I've been 
following it or trading it one way or other for the last 34 years as well. And I think it is a brilliant metaphor, perhaps arguably the best metaphor for what is going on in the global economy. So let's talk about the broader global economy. Now, anecdotally, and I think anecdotal is very important as well, by the way, when you speak to the sellers of product in the market, whether it's on the retail scene or whether it's services or whatever it may well be, when you speak to the people uh, looking at the transportation of goods as well, when you speak to the people who are um, potentially at worst risk of a problem from an energy spike at the moment. Actually, they're not worried about their energy supply. Most people can get hold uh, of oil products. They can get hold of gas products or eat because actually uh, the storage is, is pretty full. I agree with you that over the medium term there are problems, but I just wonder if the metaphor has been properly understood by the market and market valuations. Now, I started off by talking to Antoine Lanay about some of the downticks we've seen over the last week, but there is a question of whether we are complacent about the demand side destruction that a slowdown in the global economy could bring about. And I know for a fact from the people I've been talking to, businessmen and women who I trust, they are talking about significantly lower volumes this seasonal period. And of course, in consumer-facing economies in the United States, in the United Kingdom as well, if you are seeing big double-digit uh, double, um, uh, drops in volume, uh, if that's not a bit of alliteration, I don't know what is, uh, then, then that actually says that maybe the market, which has come off aggressively, and, and I'll just point, make out the point that we've seen big indices falling aggressively last week as well. Maybe some of that medium-term bad news is not in the price. At the same time, when we have sticky inflation, it is not the greatest basis to buy a product. It is not the ba greatest basis to buy speculative assets. Yeah, I think that the trouble is, Steve, that we're, we're struggling here, aren't we, to get a, a firm read on some of the underlying demand dynamics generated by consumer activity. And I think the, the data we've seen specifically out of the United States flatters to deceive at this point. And it's, it's worth bearing in mind, even as we see some of this resilience uh, at the U.S. consumer level, in part, we should make it very clear that that is down to consumers ultimately using credit to fill the space between household income and spending. Uh, and if, if you're struggling with that concept, have another look at the credit card data that we were talking a lot about last week. Uh, we've seen the strongest um, pickup in credit card debt in the United States that we've seen in 20 years. And you know what's even more worrying than that is that as consumers are maxing out on their credit card, they are turning to home equity loans to, again, fill that gap between income and spending when it can't be filled by short-term borrowing on credit cards. And if you're struggling with that concept, Go and have a look at the data. We've seen a 30% increase this year on um, equity withdrawal from US consumer homes. And okay, arguably that equity there is available. I know some of the stats suggest that there is um, uh, well in excess of uh, $20 trillion worth of home equity available in households. But the reality is, of course, that that is reflected by the headline property price and the appreciation in property prices we've seen, and they can very quickly adjust downwards. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.